It's been like the whole, what we call the Holy Trinity in our house, Trader Joe's, the liquor store and CVS. <laughs> so familiar. Hi, I'm Maddie Orton, and you're listening to the Jersey Arts Podcast. It's been a little over one year since quarantine began for many of us. But glimmers of hope are on the horizon as COVID-19 vaccines reach more and more people. And I don't know about you, but I've been letting myself daydream a little bit more about getting back to doing things I love, like going to the theater, maybe grabbing some dessert afterwards with friends and dissecting everything we took away from the experience, and of course, combing through the show's program on the way home. Joseph Gallo, the playwright-in-residence at Hoboken's Miles Square Theater, saves his playbills, too. In fact, he worked with Hudson County Community College, where he's also a tenured theater professor, to create the Playbill Gallery. It started back in February 2020 as an exhibit of his most memorable show experiences through the lens of his playbills. You can see a photo in this episode's show notes. He then used the exhibition as a springboard for a solo play by the same name, and Gallo even got a couple of performances of his show in before the world shut down. At first we were like, well, we'll do it, you know, in September, you know, and then when it became clear that <laughs> September, there, nothing was going to happen, we're talking about 2020 now, that nothing was going to happen until who knew when, right? And still, who knows when. Um, I was like, well, I don't want to wait that long, you know, and uh, I, that's the moment that I repurposed it uh, the solo I, uh, as a podcast audio play. That's the voice of playwright and performer Joseph Gallo. In lieu of a live audience, he decided to create an audio recording of his play, which he retitled The Playbill Gallery, A Love Story. Gallo brought in a handful of voice actors to fill in the other small roles, an option he feels works better for audio-only pieces. This makes the project Gallo's and Miles Square Theater's first attempt at a podcast, audio play, I'll let him define it. Should we call this a podcast or an audio play? What do you prefer? Either or works. I mean, you know, I was thinking about technically it's not really, is it an, is it an audio, is it a play? I don't um, know what a play is anymore in quarantine. True. In true. Zoom I mean, shows, I, I don't know. You know, I think audio play works, um, but it is a podcast. So either, you know, either or works. I mean, audio play would then be a sub- category of podcasting. I buy right? it. Yeah. This was originally going to be scripted as a solo performance Correct. and you transitioned it to the podcast. Did it shift the way you told the story at all? Only in the, only in the end, because now oh. I had to include the pandemic as part of the ending. And, uh, and it became more of, instead of a celebration of theater, uh, uh, the theater experience, which is what it originally was, it became a um, sort of a morning. The Playbill Gallery, a love story. Written and performed by Joseph Gallo. I mean, what I really loved about listening to the Playbill Gallery as a podcast during quarantine is it really is a love story to your experience in the theater, both as a practitioner and as a lover of it audience member. And when I was listening to it, I really felt in many ways like it brought me to that time and place of feeling the lights go down and seeing the curtain go up. I have my own little rituals where I, you know, buy my Sauvignon Blanc and Twizzlers at Broadway houses. And it's, oh. 
it's my, you know, and I keep my playbill afterwards right. and it on the train. So it brought me to that place and made me think about all of the other pieces of theater that I didn't even realize I was missing, like feeling the tittering of people talking as the lights go down. Right. right. And well, it was so nice to have that for a moment. Well, thank you. Um, uh, thank you. I, you know, again, Michael Blaskowitz and I, you know, we worked really hard on trying to create that that uh, that sensory experience as well. Um, and, you know, I'm wondering actually, again, because uh, how many people have I got to speak to about listening to it? Not, like very few, but right. a lot of people who did respond said, you know, when you mentioned a title, I relived my own experience of seeing that oh, show. Yeah. Or I would, you know, I would recount a title and they go, damn. I missed that show. Yes. That was a show I always wanted to I had a couple of those moments too. I am drawn to covers that are simple, black and white, bold letters, covers that pop. This is our youth, Chicago, Fences. I almost wonder, do you feel like it ended up working better for you and for the story being a love letter during quarantine when people can't go to the theater? I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. <laughs> I'm not, I, I really don't know. I, I haven't, you know, that's, that's part of, you know, that I would, I think I would have an answer if I knew, if I had more um, of an exchange with the people who are listening to our to podcasts and like the same with, with yourself and, and this podcast, it's like, it's a little bit like being a novelist, right? You don't know who's reading your book when, where, or how, or what the reaction is to it which is the antithesis of, of the theater, which is live in the moment. You know who's at the show. You know who's not at the show. You know if, you, you know if the play is working or not, or you, know, you, you get that immediate feedback. But in the podcast, like out of the blue, I will get, you know, someone will drop me an email. Hey, I listened to your podcast, loved it. Or, you know, and, or they'll, you know, they'll riff with me about, you know, something that really sparked their interest. But I don't know who's out there listening to it. little bit about how this all started because initially the playbill gallery was an actual exhibit in a gallery right uh yes the, the um the curator of the gallery michelle vitale she she works technically i believe she works for the the county of hudson county but the gallery that she runs is on the top floor of the library building at hudson county community college and her offices are up there so, you know, frequently there's like cross-pollination between things that are happening at the college and, and, and with the space, especially like with student work, et cetera, and so forth. And so we were, she and I were in a converse, got into a conversation once and she was talking about collecting. And I told her that I had this collection of playbills that I had collected virtually every playbill of every show I had ever seen. And she was like, wow, that's cool. Uh, you know, uh, well, how many do you have? I go, I really don't know. I have boxes of them. They're, literally, they're in storage. I literally have no idea. So she, um, she goes, well, maybe we could do a show. Maybe we can you know, give you a show. She did a terrific job curating. We had one wall that was that covered was all of my uh, primary, what I thought were the primary shows. And that covered okay. an entire wall. I, what uh, makes a primary show? Uh, I could remember it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Since I started collecting, there have been so many plays, so many images that have stayed with me. The opening scenes from Rent, 
Reasons to be pretty. American Idiot. Jerusalem. Fela on Broadway. Say yeah, yeah. Springsteen on Broadway. John Malkovich's entrance as Pale in Lamford Wilson's Burn This. August Osage County and running back to my seat during the intermission because I did not want to miss a second of what came next. Really, it became, if, it, if we remembered, then there became just this stack that were on the floor of the gallery um, that didn't make the wall. And then there were, there were, we had a couple of cases of just memorabilia because it was amazing the things that fell out of the programs that I had. Oh, sure. You know? And then there was also, um, there was uh, not just playbills, but then I also had a, uh, a small stack of show bills, which mm-hmm. were originally the competition to playbill. Um, and, uh, and then I had, you know, also, a you know, a, a small collection from international theaters, from, you know, from, uh, from the, uh, the public theater, from St. Anne's Warehouse, places that, you know, they actually did their own in-house playbills. So, um, so, you know, I had that collection as well. And then the, the, we had a wall of just Lincoln Center, because it was 122 plays from Lincoln Center. So wow. that was another wall. It's the Lincoln Center wall of programs that inspires Chris O'Connor's favorite anecdote in the audio play. Those recordings of the conversations with with his wife and the other other couple, I didn't I didn't <laughs> even know, I didn't even know they were going to be in there. Chris is the founder and artistic director of Mile Square Theater. He helped produce the show and lent his voice to one of the characters. This scene Chris is referencing isn't scripted like the rest of the show. It's a recording of Joseph Gallo, his wife, Sarah Weber Gallo, and their friends, Ken and Jill Friedland, discussing the shows they've seen at Lincoln Center during their decades-long membership with the theater. Gallo holds up programs one by one and asks for their off-the-cuff memories of various shows. And I was like, I want to go home. Please give me cab money to go home. I really like the play. I like the play, too. And I wanted to stay to the end. And it went on for... Ever that train it was ride like, went yeah. on forever. <laughs> I, I, re- I do remember what her, her most it. famous line during that was, it's like a Springsteen concert. It never <laughs> ends. And to hear those people, you know, how, how passionate they were. You know, that's half the fun is to have the discussion afterwards and really start to process what you just saw. Chris has had to do some processing of his own. When the pandemic temporarily shut Mile Square Theater's doors, he had to figure out how to keep a live performance-based organization afloat. I I kind of walked around in a in a state of shock. That that's I think that's the kind of the best um, explanation of how of, of how I was navigating through that. Um, sure. And then and it was and then there was a great urgency in just trying to. Um, find the the programs that that were going to help us um uh you know with with getting some income in the theater company was able to move their classes online and chris kept their small staff employed through a grant <laughs> you know then then the, you know then what the question of okay what, what do we do artistically you know how do we remain <laughs> how do we remain relevant so we we canceled the next show which was a kids show um you know, it was just clear that we couldn't do that. We, you know, no, no one would be coming into our theater. And then the next event we have on the books, uh, which is usually late spring or summertime, is Seventh Inning Stretch, which is a baseball festival, a ten-minute play festival about baseball every year. Annual, yeah. 
Yeah. And one of one of our board members said, okay, well, we're just going to put it online, you know, and I thought, what? How? Wait? No, no, we're not going to do this. And, and I was just like, I could not, I was so um, shell shocked that I just couldn't even imagine how to how to move forward. And I, you know, I got off my high horse after about a week and I thought, okay, all right, let's just reinvent this. Seventh inning stretch became a variety hour, which was relatively inexpensive to produce. The show included music, animation, storytelling, Zoom plays, and it broke box office records. So that was very heartening. And so I think since then, we've just been, like many theaters, we're, we're just making it up. It's improv on a major scale. That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, this is one of those things that none of us has ever experienced. And I feel like has really shifted the thought of what theater is. Yep. If you had said to me that, you know, we're doing theater, but it's recorded or we're doing theater, but it's on Zoom, I would be like, well, that's not theater, but it is. I mean, this is what it is now. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the uh, Joseph Gallo's podcast is a really good example of it. Chris sees Mile Square Theater creating more podcasts down the road, and he thinks the experimentation that theaters have done over the last year may change the way they present work moving forward. I think that more theaters are probably going to shoot uh, and film their content. You know, when when um, uh, Hamilton, you know, finally hit Disney Plus, and the unbelievable quality of that of that film of that production. Um, and with the advent of um, uh, uh, Broadway on Demand, you know, with all this theater-related video content, um, I, I could see us f- um, filming either premieres or, or, or sanctioned productions of, of new plays and then putting it on those platforms, hmm. um, which will open up access to people who can't get to the theater, for one, and also to give us, you know, give us an opportunity to show our work uh, more more broadly. The opportunity to see some of the stuff that I never would have been able to see has been really interesting. Right. And that's kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, I, I kind of don't want that to go away. I want to have my experiences in person like I used to have, but it, it is nice to be able to say like, you know, what? I'd love to see this show in San Diego and I, I'm not going to fly to San Diego tomorrow to see it, but I could still see it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, and we're learning how to do it too. With or without ushers, concessions, and yes, even playbills, there's so much about theater experiences that stay with us. And Joseph Gallo has really thought through what makes certain shows stick out in our minds. When I think about my experiences, I guess shows I've seen, um, you can categorize it a lot of different ways. You know, this was a show that I saw with, for example, you brought up Nathan Lane, who's also one of my, I would oh. watch him read the phone book and be sure. totally happy. So I could, you know, I could categorize as Nathan Lane shows I've seen, musicals I've seen. But what I thought was so clever was you created these different subcategories that I'd never thought about. But things Which like um, shows I've seen where I came away not remembering the show, but remembering an experience that had nothing to do with the show, like the right. person who stood up in West Side Story. Right, right, right. He turns toward the entire section, his back to the stage, grabs his coat and swings it like a cape over his shoulders. And he holds this pose like he's Batman so that we cannot see the stage. Then slowly, he puts the coat on and stomps out of the theater. 
yeah, you know, there's a lot of stories that I have of like, for instance, seeing Madonna in uh, Speed the Plow mm. and uh, a woman started talking back to the stage <gasps> and another person stood up and cursed her out and, and, the, and the play stopped and it became, oh, no. you know, and I, I was right in the middle, like they were on both sides of me and I was like, it became better than the play. I was at a performance of the final performance of Behanding in Spokane. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Christopher Walken, yeah. Christopher Walken, Zoe Kazan. And the whole show at the top is premised around uh, a candle burning something over a period of time, I think. Okay. And, you know, once the candle reaches this level of burning something, something's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Within the first five minutes, I want to say, of the show, the candle goes out. And I was sitting with my dad and I'm notorious for doing this. I grabbed his arm and he must have had fingernail prints just, you know, for days. And I just went, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Oh, my God. And then you hear Zoe Kazan start saying, oh, I hope the fire department comes like Chris or Gerald or and you realize she's calling Stage members of the crew. Okay. And someone comes out, you know, in their in their stage crew black outfit, dutifully lights the candle and then backs back up and the whole audience applauds. And I have to tell you, I don't remember a ton else from that show. And I'm a huge Martin McDonough fan, but mm-hmm. I will never forget that moment until the day I die. There you go. So there are all these different ways that you remember these stories. You hold on to the playbills. So I also hold on to playbills and I have... I couldn't say every playbill, but I I certainly have almost every playbill dating back to my first Broadway show in the third grade. Okay. And I recently What was that? What play was that? My Fair Lady. But so you know, I was recently moving and my husband looked at the box of playbills that we had in the closet, which is only a a portion because I have a whole bunch at my parents' house because they have a suburban storage. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband goes, Do we want to keep these? And I just thought like, what? Of course we want to keep all the playmills. What are you talking about? And he's like, well, do we need them accessible? And I said, well, I like to look at them. And I thought, why do I need to look at, I don't, I guess I don't need to, but I like seeing them. I just like seeing that it's there. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of the pro, you know, it really, that whole thing exploded for me when we took them out of the boxes and put them on the wall. That was, that was like a really sort of, kind of an amazing thing um, for me. And in fact, it also now raises another question. Do I continue to collect them from this point on? Um, that's that's my- continue. You've so I have to continue. Well, well, I'll tell you what's happening. Um, so we took down all the playbills and I was like, the thought of taking them and putting them back into storage um, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> so I have dedicated, I have, I'm donating um, my entire collection to Hudson County Community College. And um, a couple of years ago, t- uh, we built a studio uh, theater classroom on the art floor. And so I donated, um, I've, I've, I'm donating the collection and we are going to line, the, we're going to cover the walls around the entrance of the theater space of the studio theater classroom with the collection. Oh, I so, love that. So it will always be there to look. 
But if you want the stories behind that beautiful cover art, Mile Square Theater's first audio play, The Playbill Gallery, A Love Story, is the place to hear them. The podcast is available on their website, milesquaretheater.org. That's theater with an R-E. The Playbill Gallery, A Love Story, is part of the New Jersey Theater Alliance's Stages Festival and is available for free at least through the end of May. To learn more about all things arts in New Jersey or to help fund more stories like this one, visit jerseyarts.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to give us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends. The Jersey Arts Podcast is presented by Art Pride New Jersey, advancing a state of creativity since 1986. This show is created in partnership with the New Jersey State Council on the Arts and receives additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by yours truly, Maddie Orton. Executive producers are Jim Atkinson and Corin Reif. Special thanks to Miles Square Theater. I'm Maddie Orton for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.